Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nice to be back. Um, the extended Christmas vacation was accidental. Um, even reminders uh, to guests uh, you know, went unheeded. I think <laughs> two weeks in a row, like sent out uh, some uh, reminders about the show even one even said oh hey i'm sorry about that i need to reschedule and uh uh you know they gave me the uh what would be convenient for them and they still forgot for the second week in a row so, but that's not going to happen tonight because our guest is here um and samuel chong is a certified court interpreter and he helped to get michelle demarquet's the Theuban prophecy translated into Chinese and Taiwanese, which helped to vastly expand the book's popularity. Uh, Samuel had a couple of meetings with Michelle, uh, and you know we'll learn about that over the next couple hours. Uh, and Samuel also has translated 334% Lies, a book on secret societies. Uh, Samuel's website is chinasona.org, and um, just uh, saw uh, Samuel just you know reminded me that he will be presenting at the Journey to the Truth Conference in Grafton, Illinois, on May 22nd through the 25th. So you know uh, we. Uh, talk about that uh, this evening as well. Uh, hi, Samuel. How are you doing tonight? Good. Uh, thank you for having me here. Okay, that's great. Yeah. yeah it's, hey, you, you, you were really busy last night being on coast to coast and the warm up for uh, night night light. How, how, how is George doing? 
Yes, George was doing great, and he uh, jumped in, jumped uh, and asked a lot of questions, uh, uh, very interesting questions. And also, uh, the call-ins, the people who called in and asked uh, excellent questions as well. So it was a very good warm-up warm for your show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I hope, uh, hope Lisa is doing well, too. She, you know, she's, she's a nice lady to work with, like her. Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, each show get, keeps us getting uh, going down these different rabbit holes. It, it, each, each show just uh, becomes its own, has its own little life, and it's just a lot of fun doing this. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, let's see. There is just really so much information packed in uh, your book. Uh, let, me, let me start off with um, the uh, Theuban prophecy is pretty much a heavy-duty sci-fi religious book. Uh, you know, did you grow up? Uh, or, you know, and you know, watching a lot of sci-fi movies, reading a lot of Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke uh, kind of books, and uh, you know, being you know, being in a uh, you know religious home. You know, it's uh, you know, what was it about this book that you know, really had such a big appeal on you? You know, I grew up in China before the age of 15. So we did have some sci-fi movies and stories, folklore stories in Chinese mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, are kind of like a fantasy stories. And I always uh, was fascinated uh, by information from outer space. Um, I wanted to really learn, obtain more knowledge from people who have more advanced civilizations uh, than us, like uh, people who are superior uh, in in the sense that they have more knowledge. I was hoping mm-hmm. that we can have uh, better teachers or, or um, guides to guide us to the right path. So I had a fascination since I was young to obtain such information from either people who um, have uh, such um, unique experiences or directly from the ETs themselves so that we can just um, uncover or unveil all the mysteries of the paranormal and to learn how to live a better life. Um, so that's, that's, my fa- that's my fascination since I was young. And um, after I came to the U.S., I, in my subconscious mind, I still uh, sought for such information and knowledge. Um, so after searching and searching and reading books of uh, ET contactees, I, um, mm-hmm. I found this book on Amazon in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so, so this book really yeah, is the book that I was looking for. Well, it, it it really does span 
a number of genres. Uh, it, it, it really is a fascinating look at history, relig- you know, origin of r- religions, and you know, we'll, we'll keep talking about. It, but you know, I, I can understand why someone would be. Um, become engrossed in th- this book. So, but you know, you were really motivated um, after reading it to uh, talk with M- Michelle. So, can, can you tell us a little bit about how you? Uh, met Michelle and worked with him for, um, you know, knew him for a couple years. Yeah. So um, just uh, going back to the story, I was reading this book. I thought it's just another ET contactees book, just a regular book. It could be true. It could be uh, fiction. It could be just uh, some made-up story, which I read so many. But then when I read the chapter on who is Christ, it has a lot of information that really connects the dots of the stories in the Bible, how mm-hmm. the ETs were involved throughout history, guiding us um, to the right path as recorded in the ancient scriptures in the Bible. Um, I really didn't believe anything in the Bible before I read this book, Theobald Prophecy. But this book, Theobald Prophecy, really answered all my questions and doubts about the Bible because I just didn't believe uh, that anyone like the Son of God or could perform such miracles. I just didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I thought, God, Son, what's the, what's the connection there? Like God is supposed to be faceless without faith. It's supposed to be like a great mm-hmm. spirit. Why would he send like a human-like son to us? Why not a daughter, which is more attractive to a lot of people? Why a son? So I, I thought that's just uh, didn't make any sense to me. And also the uh, the church, a lot of the church that I went to, really said we were uh, we were uh, we have we have oh, everyone has to everyone has sin and we have to repent in order to uh, go to heaven. That just uh, didn't make sense, make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense to me that I, I had a lot of doubts and questions and also a lot of um, um, kind of um, rebellious uh, intention or uh, like intu- intuitively, it, it just um, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't ring true to me. Um, and so I, I thought that the Bible is just a fictional story or a fictional novel because everything contained in the Bible is so kind of uh, leaning towards um, going to pray to the priest or the clergy, not to like someone who is, uh, who is uh, pure and supreme. I mean, the, 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 the church, the, the pastors and the priests, they kind of uh, stand in the way between us the people and God, the Creator, and, and what the heck? They they killed so many people in the past in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. What can they do to? I mean, what kind of things they have to teach us to 
to, to go to heaven and, and claiming that everyone has sinned, that just um, is, I will, I will use the word uh, insane to me, to believe any, any, any of the church doctrines. So I didn't believe any any of the nonsense when I was uh, going to the church. So I mainly went to the church for the reasons of um, getting contacts for my business. Um, so mm-hmm. and, and also for the free food that they provide every Friday evening. It's a Chinese church called um, the Baptist Church of the Mandarin Baptist Church of Los Angeles. And the people there were really nice, but they strongly believe everything written in the Bible. And they didn't believe, they still don't believe anything about uh, reincarnation. Um, so this, reading the chapter on who is Christ really made me believe that this is a book that really accounts for the original scriptures in the Bible. Um, and then in the postscript of the book, it says um, there are more incredible things that the author, Michel de Marquet, was not, was not allowed to write in the book because we were far from understanding them. And that got me extremely curious because it really answers all the questions about um, the stories in the Bible. Um, and what's more incredible about it? I was uh, very curious. And I thought um, I would be smart enough to understand everything already. And what's more incredible that we were far from understanding them. I thought I would be the perfect person to understand that the one thing that most people wouldn't understand. So I decided to give it a try then to to kind of um, uh, track him down. Um, and I found that he was living in Vietnam at that time. And I found a picture of him online, um, of his bungalow. And I printed it out and showed it to the taxi driver after I um, landed um, in the airport. Um, and the taxi driver took me there the, after the second try. And uh, since then, I had um, kind of a relationship, working relationship with uh, Michelle Damarke. Okay. So, so you had two meetings with him, and the you eventually helped, spoke with him about helping to get his book uh, to a wider audience. So, uh, and, and like I said, the introduction, it, uh, it was getting it uh, printed in Chinese. Um, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, censorship, uh, in, in today's media, uh, how difficult was negotiating Michelle's information to Chinese publishers? It was extremely difficult because um, Michelle Demarque actually received two thousand dollars of copyright fees from a publisher in China who said to him that uh, he would publish a book in China. And they, they actually paid $2,000 to him. But then when uh, Michel Demarquet didn't hear anything back from them, he asked me to follow up. It turned out that they decided not to have it published because of the fear of the censorship from the Chinese government. 
So Michelle asked me to uh, find another publisher to have it published in a Chinese-speaking country, whether it's uh, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, or even Singapore. As long as it's published in Chinese, it would be okay. Um, so I did a lot of research and I mm-hmm. looked up uh, all the major publishers in China and Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Um, the Chinese publishers were afraid of uh, um, anything relating to religion, Christianity, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. So that's the reason they're afraid of um, having it published. And the Taiwanese publishers have a different reason. They, uh, the book mentioned about homosexuality being a uh, neurosis like should be treated. Um, so this is a very sensitive topic in Taiwan for Taiwanese people. Um, so some publishers rejected this book because of that sentence. They asked me um, uh, to contact Michelle Demarquet to see if uh, that sentence could be removed. And uh, and I knew uh, what Michelle would say, and I responded by saying that, uh, no, it has to be a complete version of the book without any deletion uh, anything like that for for the Taiwanese version um, back to the Chinese version uh, it's a different story because uh, Michel de Marquet also knew about the censorship in China he agreed that the Chinese publisher could publish it as a science fiction and also could remove uh, certain sentences or even like a entire chapter from the book uh, just to have the book published in mainland China um, and um, after so many contacts, um, like I tried so many publishers, and and, and I thought uh, there's a very good friend of mine. Her mother used to be like uh, the editor in chief of a major publisher in China, um, but mm-hmm. now she, back then she was retired. I asked her to um, establish a contact, and uh, through her introduction that book was finally published in mainland China as a science fiction with um, certain removals of, uh, of uh, re- with removal of certain sentences. Okay, so with the an umbrella term like uh, yeah, this is a science fiction book and uh, Kind of makes everything seem like it could be questioned. So that yeah, you hear things like that from censors, and you know, we even well, I better not get into the fact checkers here, but you, uh, that that does. Uh, seemed like you were running into the totalitarian state of uh, censorship and oppression of um, what we would call the First Amendment. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so that's why the book uh, had to be published as a science fiction in mainland China. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if they try to publish as a non-fiction, there's not even a category for this kind of book 
because there's mm-hmm. no category of book for spirituality, for religion, or for UFO, for that matter. So all this, all the three uh, areas of the book or subject matters of the book are not uh, classified as a category in China, in the nonfiction category. So it had to be published as a science fiction. And also, um, for that matter, it's also protection for the publisher because if the government questions about the uh, the content of the book, they can just say, oh, it's a science fiction. I mean, it's a made-up story, so you don't have to worry about anything written in the book. And not <laughs> So it's, it's such like a protection for the publisher and right. also the editors and, and in the publishing company. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's just an interesting background. The, uh, we really haven't – maybe other than one show we uh, did on Moo, which we'll get into at some point uh, this evening, uh, you know, we really haven't covered that. And I I think it's a really interesting look at how different cultures approach um, publishing. So, okay, let's move into um, looking at this autobiography. It's basically an autobiography. So, uh, we find Michelle living in Australia, and you know, he uh, writes a note to his wife that he was uh, knew that he was going to believe be leaving on a ten uh, day trip like and say we want to take it from there, yeah, that actually happened in Australia in June nineteen eighty seven so he woke up in the middle of the night and he didn't know why, but he wrote a note to his wife that he would be gone for ten days, and there's absolutely no need to worry about him and he walked outside of his house to his backyard. And then he was lifted up to the middle of the air where he encountered a nine-foot-tall, beautiful, blonde E.T. Um, who took him to a parallel universe um, where he saw a lot of um, people wearing medieval clothes and also savages. And he was explained that they had to stop over there just uh, to prevent other people on Earth from seeing them. So they wanted to um, hide this kind of a mission um, of taking the shot Marquette to their aircraft and their spacecraft and to their planet uh, called uh, Theoba or Theova. Um, and uh, so they started their journey uh, stopping um, like on another planet called Arima X3 before uh, finally arriving on the planet uh, Theoba, uh, which Michelle calls it a uh, golden planet because he saw like a golden mist surrounding the planet, very beautiful um, colors and lights. It's like a paradise to him. 
and he spent mm-hmm. there for nine days, and he was told a lot of uh, things about uh, the paranormal on Earth, such as the Great Pyramid, mm-hmm. the Bermuda Triangle, uh, the stories in the Bible, and uh, the human energy field, the auras, our politics, like our political system, and also our financial system, our like um, energy source, and also information about uh, what we need to do to improve our lives and to move to the right direction. Um, in addition, they mentioned they they told Michelle the purpose of life and also reincarnation. They actually showed Michel de Marquet um, his past 80 lives and explained to him that life is like a wheel. What goes up has to come down. So everyone has to experience all the different um, kind of uh, scenarios in life. For example, Michel de Marquet, he was a few times a beggar, but he was also a queen ruling a very large country on a different planet. So everyone has to take different roles in different lifetimes in order to experience and to accumulate spiritual lessons. It when Michelle uh, woke up and it seemed like he knew something was going to happen it, it was all the people uh you know like michael uh carter with whom he's you know spoken and all, all the other hosts and listen to all the other shows it, it, is there something that uh the abductee seems to be aware of, but yeah, they don't know exactly what, but they know something is uh, about to happen. It's uh, life, it's some kind of life-changing event. Is, is that pretty? Is Michelle following a uh, pattern of what other contactees or abductees experience? Well, he didn't know what was going to happen. He just suddenly woke up. Mm-hmm. and uh, But he knew something was wrong, something was uh, uh, not normal uh, that was happening to him. So he kept thinking it must be a dream, that he was lifted up and he saw this kind of a strange, uh, misty um, kind of um, scenario when he was entering into the parallel universe. And he he felt something was uh, very strange, um, and and then he was told a lot of the things, and and even though he was told that this that was not a dream, he still believed that that was a dream for him, that he would wake up uh, from the dream, and then he was told that he was going to take on this journey to visit the planet Theuba, Jehovah. Um, uh, and so I think um, he is only after they explained to him that he learned that he was going to take this uh, extraordinary trip. Okay. 
and in um, Michael Carter's um, discussions uh, with us, as well as uh, when we had Andrew Smith as a guest, when he he was discussing um, the Flatwoods Monster case. Um, I think we had uh, like uh, I think Zelia Edgar has had a, a uh, describes an encounter she researched where uh, the we had these huge uh, huge sized uh, beings and they're also dressed you know we've had uh, I think in Andrew the Flywoods monster case uh, there was writing on the clothes um, is that is Michelle's uh, depiction of or, or uh, recounting of uh, his abduct abductor um, a, a uh, little unusual or uh, or are clothed large entities uh, you know, fairly common. Have you encountered that much? Well, I think in terms of the size of the ETs that uh, Michelle de Marquet experienced or encountered, uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a gigantic person, nine or mm-hmm. ten foot tall, really tall, mm-hmm. like a giant. But I also know a friend of mine who encountered um, or actually who uh, met uh, Grace, the little Grace who are shorter than us. And uh, so I think there are different kinds of ETs in the universe. Some are taller, some are shorter than us. And I think uh, Michel de Marquet um, was uh, meeting with uh, this group of uh, very tall and beautiful uh, blonde hermaphrodite ETs. Okay. It's just... uh Some of these characteristics um, do, do uh, pop up on uh, you know, discussions you know, when we uh, cover uh, these ET um, uh, topics. And it's just interesting to just get a variety of perspectives on uh, the characters. I, I just. Just uh, yeah. asking for personal interest, and you know, ho- hopefully the uh, uh, listeners are all, ha- are having some of their questions answered by you as well. It, it, it's just it it is an interesting aspect of the phenomenon. Yes, this group of ETs, the Theobans, uh, they're really, really beautiful and sexy. Mm-hmm. When Michelle Demarquet was uh, meeting with them, and and uh, when he entered their spacecraft, he saw this kind of like uh, a dozen or so of them astronauts, all like all f- female-looking, um, like they all look like females or women, and all beautiful like Amazons. And he was really happy about that, like uh, because he liked to be around with uh, women. 
um, and, and they're really beautiful and sexy. But then he was kind of uh, disappointed when Tao, the main um, contact of his, told him that they're actually uh, hermaphrodites, like having male and female sexual organs um, on the same body. So, so that that's the. But but they still look more feminine than than masculine, uh, and because um, according to this group of ETs, uh, women look prettier than than men in general. So that's why they chose uh, that their bodies to resemble more like women's bodies uh, than than male's body, just to be more attractive. And in fact, they are more attractive than any of the other people that um, Michel de Marquet encountered in during his trip because he also met other ETs, um, at least their corpse and also um, uh, you know, Golden Doko, the building structure on their planet. And also this group of ETs, they can live forever. So they can regenerate their body at, at will. Um, they are forever young looking, like youthful looking, uh, mm-hmm. in their 30s. And they seem to be very, very happy all the time. They're compassionate and loving people. And Michel de Marquet was uh, really enjoyable being around with them because uh, he felt love from them. And he really didn't want to come back um, to Earth after staying there for nine days. And he really was looking forward to being with them again before he passed away. Okay, and as we kind of get into uh, some of the uh, details Michelle describes to begin his, you know, you, you know, you just mentioned his nine days uh, stay. That you know there were. Uh, he described a lot of colors to de- uh, cut down on the bacteria. You know, there, there's uh, some of this. Uh, Preparations for space travel. Um, you know, I thought that was you know, some pretty interesting um, information that he introduced as his nine-day abduction begins. Yes. So this book is very particular and very uh, interesting because it contains a lot of very detailed accounts of uh, Michel de Marquet's experiences, and so detailed that we can actually verify the facts. For example, when he entered, after he entered uh, their spacecraft, uh, they disinfected him using yellow light and blue light, among other methods. So I did some research on the effects of uh, yellow light and blue light. Uh, Yellow light, the color yellow, increases metabolism, the speed of blood flows in the system, in the human body. And the color blue um, has uh, antibacterial, antiviral effects. Um, So it can actually inactivate viruses. 
Um, it, it, the study done by Harvard Medical School proves it. Uh, they had um, a lot of uh, clinical experiments showing that certain wavelengths of uh, blue light have such effects on, on people and also organisms. Mm, so I think uh, what they did was that they kind of uh, increased uh, their um, the the metabolism or blood flow of Michel de Marquet by using yellow light in order for the uh, viruses to um, become more activated. And then they use blue light to inactivate them, to kill them off, and, and, hmm. and just to be safe. Um, so they also had other ways of uh, disinfecting him, and it's uh, very de detailed uh, described in the book. Um, and um, Michel de Marquet also did the astral travel, in which his astral body left his physical body while they were disinfecting his physical body. Um, so that's a very interesting experience. I know some people um, say that they can have uh, out-of-body travels or experiences. Um, and Michel de Marquet actually describes how, how that uh, feels like. Uh, so I think it covers so many interesting topics and the paranormal activities <clears throat> that um, it, it's a very detailed book, uh, a very dense mm -hmm. book that answers all my questions and maybe all the questions of uh, some people I saw. Well, uh, um, while we are talking about Michelle's use of colors with, you know, just, you know, just say the uh, disinfectant. Um, he, he also uh, goes into detail about colors associated with auras. So, and, and I think maybe we can, uh, after. It, uh, this little section, we, we kind of get into maybe some of the uh, segue into some of the r religious themes in in the book as well. But uh, you, you, could, could you explain where we're going, where he's going with the use of colors in auras? Yes. For colors, um, he was explained that uh, colors are actually color is actually a form of vibration. So it made me people think that uh, um, Nikola Tesla said, uh, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of uh, frequencies, vibrations, and energy. So color is actually a form of vibration, and the theobans, the ETs, um, tell Michel de Marquet that. Uh, uh, colors have uh, very, very interesting effects on people when used correctly. For example, uh, there are already research studies on Earth showing that the color pink can reduce muscle strength by 30% when a person uh, sees the color pink for about 15 minutes or so. And I looked it up, <laughs> and I saw that, actually, I saw that study. They did research uh, in the 80s, in the 1980s. And also a football coach in the University, University of Iowa knew the effects of pink color. And he utilized it to his advantage by painting the walls 
of the locker rooms of his um, um, visiting opponents, like the opponent, uh, the team of opponents, uh, so that they would stay in the in the pink locker room for uh, as long as 15 minutes or whatever length at the time. And then it turned out that he never lost a home game. So if visitors come to his university to play the game and they stay in the pink room, pink locker room to change clothes and they, they would lose the games because they wouldn't have uh, the muscle strength <laughs> uh, as strong as uh, what they would have done. If they didn't see the pink color, so so this is a very interesting um, like uh, anecdote story, so uh, anecdotal story. So I think uh, the effects of colors should be studied more and more and should be emphasized. It's just that uh, if we really incorporate colors in our life, um, I think we are going to benefit. But on the other hand, uh, we have to balance the interests of uh, the major pharmaceutical companies. Because if, for example, if the color green um, is shown to be able to heal and treat people with migraines or headaches, then if everyone uses uh, like the color green to treat themselves, then the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't be able to make money anymore from the drugs or over-the-counter drugs or prescription drugs. So this is like a have to be balanced. Uh, the interests have to be balanced. So I think the public, the people need to make a decision whether to um, to think about or consider the interests of the pharmaceutical companies so that the employees would be continue to uh, work for the companies and the companies uh, wouldn't go bankrupt or to use a cheap and alternative way to, to heal themselves using colors. Uh, and actually... The color therapy or chromotherapy was extremely popular in the 1920s in the U.S. And uh, they could treat all kinds of diseases. But then uh, the big pharmaceutical companies uh, discovered antibiotics. So they forced the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to um, suppress the use of colors to treat different diseases. So this goes back to the special interest groups. So people have to balance the interests um, between the big pharma and also the the mass, the people. Um, so that's the effects of color on health. Um, and Michel de Marquet was also told about the, um, that we all have uh, human energy fields or auras. I actually know for a fact that certain people can see the colors of auras. For example, mm-hmm. um, Barbara Brennan, a former NASA scientist, she can see she could see she can see the colors of auras, and also she can see um, what's going on with a person, like a person's personality or intentions, or if the person will have physical illness, because physical symptoms of different illnesses um, show up um, after the colors um, change in a person's human energy field. So in a sense, the human energy field is kind of like a prediction indicator for a person's health conditions. 
and Michelle de Marquet was told that if a person can incorporate the colors of their um, environment uh, with the colors of their auras, then uh, it's going to have amazing um, effects, uh, beneficial effects to to that person. So I think uh, that's uh, something that uh, we can all uh, explore further. I've read um, a little bit too about uh, trauma. Can some people can pick up uh, the aura around traumatized people? So I, I, I've encountered that in a uh, something similar in a uh, different context. You know, I think it's there. You know, I think some people uh, spot it easier than others. Yeah, that's true. Um, like um, some people, when they see, like like the people who can see the colors of auras, when they see mm-hmm. a person in front of them, they can tell if the person uses drugs, hallucinogenic mm-hmm. drugs. Or if the person is drunk, or if the person has uh, evil intentions, or if the person is spiritual. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a lady called um, Rosaline Rosaline Brewery uh, who did a studies with uh, a professor at UCLA on the effects of colors. Uh, I mean auras, and she tells me that um, um, she can normally tell which football game football team is going to win the game by just looking at the colors of their auras like the winning team um like always has like a stronger more harmonious colors um among their team members um yes. so she would be able to predict which team would win the game it also applies to horse racing so she can actually tell which horse is is going oh. to win the race <laughs> so that's very interesting Okay, well, I, I, you know, if you want to win the Super Bowl, have, you know, have all, all, you know, just don't dress in the uh, pink locker room. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's for sure. That's a precaution to all your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so, so we also are, are uh, you know, there's several instances where. Um, it seems almost like Star Trek, where uh, you know they're in these like little spheres, and uh, like they're like zooming in uh, and on a screen, uh, the camera is shows different aspects of um, humanity on some of the uh, planets as they are making their way to Theuba. Um, the, what... I mean, uh, just talk uh, talk about uh, one of the samples and... Yeah, see how it. Some of them almost seem like they are 
foreshadowing some biblical stories. Um, uh, is, is there one you want to talk about? I, uh, you know, this, uh, I thought the one with the uh, like ants and the radiation poisoning yeah. uh, was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so what happened was that uh, they were going to uh, Fiuba, but they stopped on another planet before their arrival. Uh, the name of the planet is called Arimo X3. So they saw like very kind of desolate um, scenes over there. Um, and it turned out that they had a nuclear war about 150 years ago where everything was destroyed. So because of the radiation of the nuclear bomb, um, people were deformed. They had a lot of uh, effects after the radiation, like their, they seem to have a lot of uh, issues with their skin and also their facial, um, <clears throat> facial structure because of the radiation effect. Uh, and also because of the radiation, a lot of the insects uh, were mutated, and they grew very large. So there were like cockroaches and also ants that grew so large that they posed a danger to the uh, survivors on that planet. So the Theobans, uh, this group of ETs, have to kill them off in order to help the people on that planet to continue to survive. And um, so the Theobans were actually collecting the soil samples and water samples from rivers and just to see um, the um, <clears throat> leftover radiation levels on their planet. And um, they also told Michel de Marquet that um, on that planet, it actually existed a very successful or kind of... Um, highly advanced uh, civilization, very similar to what we are today. Like uh, technology-wise, technologically-wise, uh, they were kind of uh, advanced. And uh, But because of um, the fact that they only focus on material wealth, not spiritual growth, um, they <clears throat> turned uh, jealousy into hatred and hatred into wars. So they fought against each other and the war escalated and um, they used nuclear bombs and and uh, everyone was destroyed and there were only like a few survivors left. And the men have to, and a lot of people didn't have uh, the ability to progenerate or to have babies anymore, including the women and the men. The men, they don't have erection, erections anymore and uh, and um, and only like one or two still had the ability to to uh, to progenerate or to procreate. So those men who could procreate became um, like the ones who um, like kind of uh, make everyone else pregnant, every every other woman like pregnant. So it it, it turned out that it's a very very disheartening society. And, and result, as a result of the nuclear war, kind of warning us, if we don't focus, um, if we only focus on technology and not spirituality, then we would be heading the same thing. 
Um, so this is actually a book of warning to us, not a book of prophecy, because uh, it doesn't really prophesize anything. Uh, it gives us a lot of warnings. And, mm-hmm. and also it says that, that our future depends on our actions. So through this book, they're hoping that we can wake up. Uh, we can mend our ways and to to um, be on the right path. Okay, and we can also look at Michelle's uh, you know, uh, recounting of uh, and what he was told about. Uh, Mars was um, an advanced culture, but they had some limited resources. So some of the information that we're getting early on in Michelle's, uh, you know, Travel, uh, seems to foreshadow that people would be, people from outer space would be colonizing Earth. So it, and they're bringing their lessons with them. Well, what happened was that, um, you know, on the planet Arimo X3 that they just visited, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, like about uh, 300,000 years ago, um, they had an issue with overpopulation, and they were trying to migrate to another planet of the same category, like a Category 1 planet, uh, which is uh, like Earth, uh, where we live now. Um, that's the lowest category, and there are a total of nine categories. So they were trying to move their people, and at that time, there were the continents of uh, Lemuria and Atlantis. So they first uh, landed, actually they first explored the planets in our solar system. They saw Mars, um, they visited Mars and, and saw that they had people there. The people were highly spiritual, the people on Mars, but they mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of technology. And and because of that, their natural resources um, were scarce. So the, the planet Mars wasn't able to sustain um, so many people being migrate, uh, like migrated from that uh, planet Arima X3. So they, they thought Mars was not the ideal planet and also Mars was also uh, a dying planet too because the core was cooling down. Uh, when when the core of a planet is cooling down, uh, that means uh, it will probably no longer have the electromagnetic force to capture the atmosphere anymore in the future. So without the atmosphere, then plants and, and life forms would die out and the planet would become like a desert. So, which uh, is like Mars now. Um, so, if some people want to really move us to a desert plan- planet like Mars, I think they should uh, probably seriously reconsider. Um, 
So they gave up on Mars and they discovered Earth. So they landed on the um, at the northwestern corner of the continent of uh, Lemuria, where they saw some Chinese people. And the Chinese people, I know Chinese people. I am Chinese person uh, from China, and Chinese people are always very suspicious. It's just their nature. So they had a war with the Chinese people there, and and. Um, being like more spiritual, they didn't really want to have the war, so they retreated back to to the moon, and they established like an alien base, a ET base, on the far side or the back side of the moon, and and that they used as a transfer station to transfer their people and materials gradually, step by step, face by face, onto the continent of uh, Lemuria. Uh, so that's the story, and and there they built a very very successful and and civilization, and they built a great pyramid, and they colonized uh, the people on Atlantis, and also like people helped uh, the people of uh, Atlantis to colonize or the Mayas to colonize the uh, uh, people in India. Um, so a lot of uh, stories like that. Until one day, about 14,500 years ago, the entire continent of Lemuria sunk into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be some hints of these lost continents um referenced in the Bible. Um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have to, uh, next rant you go on, I may have to look for Gary Wayne's book. I, but I, I know he's spoken about, uh, you, know, there, you know, there are indications that, you know, the, you know, uh, Lemuria and Atlantis uh, were referenced in the Bible. Um, there are some uh, other um, traits, uh, like the building of the pyramids that started on these uh what would become lost continents, technology that survived. So were, did, did, uh, during Michelle's, uh, you know, learning of Earth's prehistory uh, on the spaceship, uh, the... Were the uh, de- depictions of these lost continents se- seem like they're uh, pretty accurate with a lot of the the ancient folklore and ancient sacred texts? Yeah. So Michel de Marquis actually visited in his uh, astral body what it was like living on the continent of Lemuria about 14,500 years ago. He actually, uh, with the 
with the guides, uh, with the guidance from the people on Fiuba, um, they actually took him inside of the Akashic record, mm-hmm. uh, which according to him records everything that happens on our planet um, by rotating like at the speed, seven times the speed of light. So, and he was told that people with practice, uh, certain psychic or spiritual practice, they can actually do the same thing by accessing the Akashic record and to learn about what really happened in the past in a holographic form. So he actually experienced everything and he saw and he heard and he actually felt what it, what, what it was like when the continent of Lemuria sunk into the ocean and also before it sank into the ocean how people were living on the continent and he saw that uh, people were really really um, using highly advanced technologies such as uh, anti-gravitational technologies to to uh, build the great to build a pyramid and also the statues on on Easter Island Mm -hmm. the Moas yes and he actually saw that they um, used a lot of uh, form of uh, psychic practice like meditation to communicate with uh, people on other planets by sitting inside was similar to the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And then he had a very vivid description, a very detailed description on how they did it. Um, and also what people did um, in the supermarkets where people just uh, grabbed whichever, whatever they needed without taking advantage of the system. They didn't use any money at all. So in, in the content, on the continent of Lemuria, there was no money. Uh, it's like a communal system or communal society. And a lot of very interesting descriptions, such as animals and that he never saw before and, um, and, and things like that. And also music, uh, music, yeah, instruments. And, okay, so, yeah, you just, you were just talking about Easter Island and one of Michelle's guides, uh, Tao, uh, says that she was a, uh, model for one of the Moai. So um, that... Okay, so there's your E.T. ancient structure uh, connection. Um, What was uh, Michelle's... uh, they write a good bit about Easter Island. Um, you, did, well, what was his interest in um, describing Easter Island as well as you know, the uh, pyramids? Uh, uh, our listeners really enjoy those topics, and you know, just they do you know c- come up. Uh, pretty frequently in 
these discussions with alien engineering. I don't know if there's a well, question in there, but it's uh, a fascinating topic to, to make the connection between ETs and you know these megalithic structures. Well, the megalithic structures, uh, such as the Moas statues on Easter Island, were actually built by the um, people on the continent of uh, Lemuria with the technology of um, um, using using anti-gravitational um, force like uh, technology to lift the stones up, and also mm-hmm. using supersonic vibrational systems to cut the stones in a very precise manner. Um, but because they kept the technologies a secret, they didn't pass it on to other people in the world, such as the people in China or Africa or Australia. So others um, didn't uh, have this technology. So when the continent sunk into the ocean um, because of earthquake, um, such technologies were lost. And some technologies um, were on the continent of um, Atlantis uh, because they were colonized by by the uh, people from Lemuria. So that's why the Great Pyramid of Egypt was actually built by a very wise and learned person uh, called Thoth from Atlantis about 17,000 years ago. Um, so Thoth actually built the Great Pyramid of Egypt using nine years, using the same technology that uh, the Lemurians built uh, the uh, the Moa statues and also the Great Pyramid on, on the continent of Lemuria as well. Um, he didn't use any slaves or any laborers, and it only took him about nine years to do it. So the Great Pyramid of Egypt was actually a tool to capture cosmic energy and terrestrial energies in order to concentrate the energies in a form so that it can use it to communicate with uh, people on other planets and also to explore parallel universe. Uh, they also used the Great Pyramid of Egypt to make rain and to really moderate weather. Um, and it's actually proven by modern science and modern research University of Reading from the United Kingdom in the UK, they did a uh-huh. research on, on making rain, like by ionizing the clouds. So by doing so, the rain would would be formed. And, um, and so this is the same thing that they did uh, using the Great Pyramid, because they can uh-huh. project the energy into the sky, into the clouds, and, and to make rain. Um, this is actually some people call it uh, using organ energy. Uh, it's just different names. They're actually the same thing. Okay, uh, um, you're just talking about um, controlling the weather, making it making it rain. Um, there's seems like there are a lot of um, descriptions of what people are 
doing during these you know, conferences with Michelle is uh, they're on the spaceship or uh, in one of the meeting rooms, um, and there's one uh, where they get into a, a discussion about levitating, and there's um, uh, when I just I just saw that in my notes and no, I can't find it. Uh, so, someone, oh, uh, yeah. th- someone's uh, sitting in a lotus position. So uh, some yeah. of the, um, the yeah, yeah the it's on page uh, that uh, seventy four. The, there's obviously like being in Australia. Um, you know. It's, uh, some it would be some Eastern influence that they're on Michelle, but uh, w- with these dis- uh, descriptions of you know, people sitting in the lotus position, it, is there uh, was Michelle getting into some of these? Uh, Eastern spiritual concepts that the West uh, has uh, forgotten about, or you know, they uh, definitely don't acknowledge acknowledge them today. But is there uh, something in? Uh, the Asian India Asian countries that um, insights into better living than uh, some of these Western concepts that we're dealing with now. I mean, Michel de Marquet, he says that. Uh... He didn't believe any of the uh, Catholic Church uh, doctrines. Uh, he, he thought that uh, those are just nonsense. And, and he was more inclined to believe in some of the Eastern philosophies, such as uh, Buddhism. And he has affinity to more like Eastern beliefs, uh, specifically regarding reincarnation. Um, so, of course, I think he would have certain knowledge um, before he went on this trip um, to Theoba. Um, and the two times that I visited him, I saw that he had certain books on his uh, bookshelf. Um, I don't know whether those books were his interests after he had the trip or before he he just had those kind of interests. But the books were actually on... Like uh, reincarnation, like uh, life after life by Dr. Raymond Moody, and, oh, okay. and also yeah, so things like that. I don't know whether he read a book before he went on the trip or after. Probably after. I don't. I don't know. But he certainly has uh, had certain knowledge about it, the Eastern philosophies and concepts. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um... Very interesting 
the way that a lot of these ideas uh, were worked into uh, the, the the story. Um, it, it shows that there is such a strong link between science fiction stories uh, and uh, spirituality and both in in both topics and it really seem to look at um, how uh, we can improve things there's a lot of like optimistic views views of the future sometimes you get you know like Jurassic Park might not be a really good example of that, but you know, there, there are um, 2001 uh, you know, ha- has an optimistic ending, but uh, you know you do find uh, examples where there are those topics intertwined that that, that really do leave a powerful message. And uh, you know, there's the um, at at the uh, towards the end of the book, there's the chapter on who who was Christ. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of uh, science fiction movies have um, good endings, and that's really mm-hmm. good. Um, but this book emphasizes that the future depends on our actions, our collective collective efforts, um, because we determine our future. The future is not fixed; it's not set. So we we have to really act in order to make our world a future, a better world in the future. Um, so um, they they actually said this by saying that uh, even the Theobans coming from a Category 9 planet, uh, the highest level in the universe, they still cannot predict what's going to happen 100 years ahead of us. So they can only see the probabilities of what's going to happen in the future within 100 years. So um, in a sense, I think um, while the past is fixed, the future really depends on how we respond to certain situations that we all face now. Um, so I think uh, it's good to have uh, good endings for sci-fi films, and I really love the endings such as the Avatar, and uh, especially the first one, and I love it, um, especially environmental um, aspect, of, uh, environmental thing of that uh, movie I especially enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But I really think that this book is aimed at uh, waking people up on a more spiritual level so that we can really be um, kind of um, uh, mindful about what's happening around us. Like everything that happened uh, in the past uh, a few years or a few decades, like are, are the mainstream media really uh, the ones that we we... We should um, just 
blindly follow. Um, the book really wants us to really look at everything behind the scenes, look at uh, what's happening really like um, are the politicians really the ones making the decisions or are there special interest groups pulling the strings, making the politicians like puppets on show? Because the politicians mm -hmm. like in the U.S. come and go every four years or eight years, but there are certain groups of people that uh, remain there no matter whether the Republicans are in power or the Democrats are in power. It really doesn't matter who is in power as long as they can pull the strings and, and determine the media and influence uh, people's mind. You know, personal experience, personal story. Um, I live in Los Angeles and there was a mass shooting uh, in a dance studio about three days ago in Montreal Park, like an Asian, Asian community. Yeah. And uh, there, there was a mainstream uh, outlet, media outlet. I won't name it because I worked for them as a Chinese translator, interpreter. So when they want to report certain things, they already knew what they were going to report. They were going to report on people's um, reactions, how they're going, to, how they felt scared about uh, this whole incident, feeling that it might be a hate crime or something like that. So they already determined what they're going to write about. And then they look for people who are in line with their story, their narrative, and then they report on those people. In fact, when most people say they didn't feel scared and they knew that it was not a hate crime, those people are ignored. So they only choose the ones that are in, that will be on camera in line with their narrative and to be interviewed. So they only look for those people. So, so, so this is uh, this shows you how the media works. I mean, they don't necessarily report the truth. They they only report their narrative, um, like trying to find proof among the millions of people. So this is <laughs> my personal first-hand experience working for journalists and reporters of a mainstream media outlet. Um, I want people to know this. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's just it, what you were just saying about the uh, have it, the media already uh, is looking at who, who is what aspects of the. Uh, Story that they want to print. It's you know, it's kind of like all of a sudden, um, out of the you know, like 250 years of the United States, it's like all, all within like the same couple weeks, all these uh, presidents and former presidents are. Ha Having all these document classified documents, all of a sudden they show up at their homes. Uh, you know that doesn't seem a little fishy, and it's not, and uh, that that's not falling into a narrative that uh, the media wants you to believe, except for what Nightlight does. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it it just seems. 
like some things are staged and, yeah, or want staged. only wanting that one point of view. Exactly. For sure. And it's, it's just a shame that you know, people were hurt and killed uh, in you know the case, the shooting that you know you're talking about, but it's the limited, the manufactured um, responses seem uh, not to be. Uh, genuine. So, um, but it, it, and you know, one the the uh, second the subtitle that's being used in the reprint is the ninth planet. And and you also talk talk about how the number nine is uh, significant in Chinese culture. What is that about? Right in Taoism, um, it says nine times nine goes to one. So nine nine goes to one, um, and it seems that uh, in in Taoism the number nine symbolizes perfection, and also the ultimate goal of a person's life journey. So um, it's um, I find it very similar to what uh, Theoba prophecy talks about that. Category nine is the highest level of category in the universe of a planet, um, and we are on category one planet, and and they're on category nine planet. We have different roles. We are just like uh, elementary school students. Nothing to be ashamed. Nothing to be embarrassed. We are just uh, learning the basics, and they're like uh, university professors trying to guide us and to teach us the basic principles so that we can uh, go on the right direction. Um, and, and after level nine, that will be the source, the creator of the universe. And in Chinese Taoism, it also says that uh, if one is to reach total enlightenment, one has to go through nine times nine life journeys, like 81 life journeys, responding mm-hmm. to the challenges in life. Exactly like what this book said, that because Michel de Marquet already had 80 past lives, and this is his 81st lifetime, so he's about to complete a major cycle in his life journey. So that's why he was chosen, because he was able to uh, remain and stay on their planet for nine days. Otherwise, people with lesser number of uh, past lives wouldn't be able to survive nine, for nine days on their planet. So I find that similarity and uh, collaboration very interesting between Chinese Taoism and, and this book, uh, Theoba Prophecy. Okay. Well, I, 
I just uh, thought <clears throat> thought of something. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's talking about uh, you know this n- numerology leading to uh, perfection. I, you know, you get that in uh, um, Dante's Divine Comedy and you have know, what thirty three cantos in in the three books uh, yeah that's a religious work too you know it's uh building up to you know, like a hundred is um, um like a you know, perfect number and all the the you know nines involved you know uh, getting close to a hundred, but you have like ninety nine uh, cantos uh, throughout the three books, and uh, all these you know, just different lev- uh, levels of hell and paradise, and uh, you know Be- Beatrice's uh, Dante's guide through you know, these different. Symbolic levels uh, of you know, celestial uh, places. Um, yeah, you know, there, there there really does seem to be um, a really deep takes a really deep look at. A lot of these uh, religious archetypes that uh, show how similar many religions are. Well, he really had a strong opinion on religions. Um, According to this book, of our prophecy, religion is a curse on earth. So it's the spirituality that's important. Spiritual oh, development. Oh, okay. that's, yeah. So religions, I mean, he says, he, he is very cynical about the Catholic Church, um, saying that uh, they killed so many people in the name of God and they kind of uh, did so many terrible things in the Spanish Inquisition. And they they kind of removed uh, certain things and intentionally distorted the meanings from ancient scriptures of the Bible and um, so and the pastors the, the priests the Catholic priests they claim that they're representative of God and, and I mean Michel de Marquet he personally I mean he was uh, really uh, not satisfied uh, at what the churches uh, or the religions are doing on earth. Um, the Theobans also say that uh, um, the Catholic Church, being the wealthiest um, religious organization on earth, they um, kind of uh, spent uh, millions, a lot of money on their expenses um, on on the Pope and, and also other things and in the name of God and 
and claiming that they still they still need a lot of money and, and people poor people especially poor people donate a lot of money a lot of money to them and they squander away <laughs> just uh, on the on their expenses uh, without really doing anything for the needy or anything um, specific for the needy um, so they're hypocrites and, and they are really the the not the good guys on earth you know when i read that i was a uh, very dubious about this claim i thought uh, i mean the catholic church people they they I, I went. I go to a Protestant, like a Baptist church. So I, I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the Catholic Church. So I thought the Catholic Church, uh, they're kind of uh, good people. Occasionally, there will be some kind of uh, molestation, molestation of uh, boys or, or underage uh, boys' uh, claims. But those are just uh, the, the few uh, that are just um, needed to release their. Their emotional needs, uh, or something like that. I, I thought that they were doing okay, except for this kind of um, claims. I didn't know. What I didn't know was that um, the Catholic Church was actually the wealthiest religious organization on earth. I didn't know about that until one day I asked my um, pastor, like the pastor at our the church that I go to, saying that. Uh, I mean, Theoba Prophecy says the Catholic Church is really wealthy. Is that the case? I mean, I was told that the the Catholic Church is the more than 10 times wealthier than all the Protestant Church combined or something like that. It's, it's really something that shocked me. I didn't know about it. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see. What, with your um uh secret book on the secrets the, the translated book you did on the secret societies what um what would the the readers get from that one, since you are segued into uh, what some of these groups do behind the scenes. Yeah. So how I found this book, 334 uh, Thousands Lives, uh, not percent, but Thousands oh, Lives. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to pronounce that word, but it's a symbol of uh, one over a thousand. So what happened with that, I was looking for ways to see auras, because I know being able to see auras would be a very important skill to improve uh, a person's spirituality. And I did a lot of research on the Internet. One day I found this forum in English that mentioned about that book in German um, with a passage about how the author of that book was able to gain the ability to see auras through certain practices. And it was a very detailed description, so I wanted to read the entire book to gain more knowledge and to find out um, the source of the information. So at that time, it was about two years ago, the book was only written in German. And I thought, uh, I need to read that. Why don't I just have it translated into English? So I, I did. 
and uh, after translation, I uh, read it and I was shocked at the content because it reveals everything about the rituals and also how uh, a regular German boy, uh, teenager or college student uh, was able to move up to a higher degree within that secret society until he became the chair, the 41st degree chair of that organization, the Illuminati. Um, I didn't believe in anything related to Illuminati before. I thought that was just a conspiracy theory. Um, as you can probably tell, it's pretty hard to convince Samuel, like myself. <laughs> I didn't believe none of those. But, but after I read this, there are so many facts that corroborate with uh, what's being said in the book, The Oba Prophecy. It reveals how um, they were able to perform um, supernatural abilities or, or miracles such as uh, levitate and mind control, predicting, predicting certain events using a special form of astrology, and also the meanings of numbers, which is a form of numerology. They also state uh, some certain facts related to their organization, like uh, the German, the European branch being uh, headquartered in Germany and the North American branch uh, headquartered in New York City and um, how there were internal strifes um, between the two um, sections of the uh, the secret society. And um, so I was going to like find out more about the author, but I was kind of a little afraid because he was able to basically do a lot of uh, things to certain people and I have no idea how what kind of person he is um, but I contacted the publisher a German company and sought for permission to have it uh, published on Amazon and he thought it was a very good idea and he gave me the permission and I actually didn't do it, and they did it, um, but uh, naming me as a translator. Um, and I think um, there are people who try to join secret societies, such as the Freemasons and the Illuminati, just to find out how to um, how to have uh, supernatural powers or to have, to learn the secrets of life. And I tell them, and I tell your listeners, if you know people like those, just tell them to read the two books, and that will be sufficient. Um, Theobald Prophecy and this book, 334,000 Lies, because these two books unveil all the secrets that the secret societies teach you. Um, and, and actually, uh, these two books give you more inside information and more concise and more useful information on how to gain such abilities and also the secret knowledge um, because you wouldn't have to perform all the rituals. The rituals they perform are really scary only for adults um, who have a like a like a heart that can sustain such uh, can, can take such information. Um, they kill people just to get the person's energy so they they can grow uh, stronger energy-wise on their own. 
they do a lot of terrible things, and they once you get in, you it's really hard to get out. Either you die or you don't name anyone when you release certain information. So it's really scary organization. And, um, I, I would tell people not to be involved. If you want to gain the knowledge, just read the two books. That will be sufficient. Okay. You know, we you know we have guests to cover both sides. I, I I'm not a member of. You know, I'm just a member of Nightlight. That's about the only group that would accept me. But, <laughs> uh, um, but you know, we hear uh, stories from you know both sides of the secret society. Uh, it's it, you know they're popular shows. It's interesting. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm not a member. I just you know just listen to what people have to say about them um but you, you know you uh also studied in spain so it, it did are are you fluent in spanish as well i am fluent in spanish i can get by okay. with a lot of things yes okay yeah uh it, Sounds like you have uh, a, a fascinating career in working with full languages. Yes, and uh, in addition to that, I always want to learn from the best. For example, if I really want to learn how to invest in the financial markets, I would learn from Warren Buffett, uh, known to be the best investor, and the most famous one at least. And also Jim Rogers, who Warren Buffett says is the best um, financial instructor he ever seen. Um, Jim Rogers, uh, if, if you know him, he's a co-founder of Quantum Fund with uh, George Soros that made a very big killing in the financial markets when the British pound uh, uh, depreciated against uh, all major currencies. And also... Um, like like that, uh, and also I, I want to say to people in the ufology field, if they want to learn about ETs and their advice and suggestions to us, and their technologies for that matter, read the book The Obel Prophecy because it talks about um, the people from the ETs from Category Nine planet, not a Category One, the grades that the U.S. government has been collaborating with to get their technologies from, they're from category one planet. If you're learning from the grids, you're learning from your peers, you're not learning from the masters. If you really want to learn from the masters, um, learn from the Theobans, the Jehovans, as was uh, being quoted in the Bible. And also, to the people who really are interested in the secret societies, I know, I know there are some other authors, uh, writers, who write about uh, their experiences, uh, in secret societies, and those are like lesser degree members uh, that they interact with. Or, um, but uh, the book Three Hundred Thirty Four Thousand Lives was written by the highest degree of the chair of the Illuminati. Um, for the Illuminati, there were only like um, thirty nine degrees in the past, 
and because of what the, the author did, um, he he became the 41st degree um, in that organization. So if you really want to learn everything, or inside out, or maybe everything about the Illuminati, you definitely should look into this book because it's from the chair. And Samuel, you just mentioned, um, you know, learning from the Theubans. Um, you know, there is, you know, a passage in there about uh, they are are uh, guardian angels. They um, do appear in uh, the Bible uh, just under other names. Um, Yeah, I think there's... uh, So, I think my friend, the Red Dragon Rider, uh, had... A post the other day about uh, guardian angels uh, being mentioned in the book of Exodus. Um, yeah, these ETs are ones that, that that there are ETs here to help us. Yes, throughout history, um, for example. They were trying to help us to get on the right path of spirituality um, by distracting the two cities, Soda and Gomorrah. They were trying to help us um, by having Moses to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. They helped Moses by going to Mount Sinai, by parting the sea, the Sea of Reeds. And they also helped us by sending Jesus to us, um, actually two Jesus, uh, one Jesus, one Christ, one who could not perform miracles and the one who could perform miracles. Um, and they also intervened uh, in recent times, um, as recently as uh, World War II, preventing Germany from being the first country to develop these uh, atomic bomb. So they have uh, been helping us. Okay, and you also make note of the way the Uban is pronounced is kind of similar to a... a, uh, Corruption of the word Jehovah or Jovan. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, can, can, can you explain that? Yeah, like if you really like um, the book, uh, the Oba Prophecy was originally written in French, um, and in French, Theoban uh, is actually pronounced as Theoban uh, Jehovah. Um, like the planet Theoba is pronounced as. Uh, uh, Jehovah, which is very similar to Jehovah, 
Um, and and indeed, uh, this book says whenever you see in the original Bible, it says the the Jehovah says something. It should be uh, the Jehovans or Jehovah uh, who said this and that. So the Bible is actually an ancient scripture that documented the interactions between the Jehovans and us, and it's actually. Um, very interesting story how the um, how the um, ancient scriptures of the Bible were later distorted. Okay, when when you do your conference in May, will you be covering topics like this? Yes, and I'll be covering topics. Uh, um, not only related to this, but also additional uh, information that I discovered and also information that I have access to uh, from whistleblowers from China. Uh, as a Chinese translator, I am privy to certain information that may not be accessible to the American general public. Okay, and, and you have... Um, or you'll be uh, appearing with Brad Olson there. He's uh, been a regular on, on Nightlight. Uh, he and Barbara have a great time talking. He, he's always fascinating with uh, his recent lectures on his trip to Antarctica and all that he saw there and his around-the-world travels. Uh, he, he's uh, really a uh, leading guest on you know, making the rounds to all the podcasts. Mm. Yes, uh, I know. You know, sometimes I may be able to help him to get his books published in China. Okay, well, yeah, he's uh, a- excellent, uh, you know, a publisher in his own right. Uh, you know, he's yeah. been all around the world. Uh, he has a, a terrific group of authors that he represents as well. You know, very, very talented person as well as being on... Uh, uh, like Scott Walters' show and uh, other History Channel shows. Yeah, uh, I've been in touch with him already. Yeah, yeah he, top top quality guy. Um, I see. It, is there? Um, you know, we're talking about the su- subtitle of the. Theuban prophecy is the ninth planet. It, is there any uh, uh, similarity to Sitchin's uh, the twelfth planet? Um, or is it ju- just uh, happens to be a, you know, just a, a, another num- number? Um, yeah, what uh, this book uh, says is uh, 
category levels. There are a total of nine different category levels of planets in the universe. It doesn't really say like the dimension or the actual number of planet um, planets. So, and and I find this book to be um, a little bit different from the others because. It has information that's so specific that we can verify mm-hmm. in our real life. We can visit Shingo Village, Japan, to visit the the tomb of Jesus Christ, and we can mm-hmm. actually verify the effects of blue light on bacteria and viruses. We can actually do research on why Germany um, who was actually far more ahead than the U.S. in developing the the atomic bomb, why Germany actually, why Hitler gave up the plan, that's actually due to Heisenberg, who made a stupid mistake, stupid mistake in when he was calculating the uh, the amount of uranium needed um, in making the atomic bomb, a very stupid mistake, and I think that's probably how the ETs intervened. And we can also like find a lot of other clues in this book regarding the U.S. military sending millions of needles into space, uh, that that's actually um, been recorded uh, in, in, I think, uh, people can look it up on, on scientific journals and see what happened. Uh, remember, the book was written in 1989 when there was no mm-hmm. Internet in Australia. And Michel de Marquet was a farmer, a landscaper, who until his death, didn't know how to use a computer, didn't know how to type, and not to say how to surf the Internet. I mean, he didn't, do, he didn't know how to handle the uh, technology of the modern days, but yet he wrote about everything, and he never visited Japan in his entire life. How did he get the information that we can verify? In Like, I think if he writes uh, so many facts that we can verify, then the other facts contained in the book that uh, we have yet been able to verify should be paid more, paid attention more seriously because uh, they might be true. It's very likely that they're going to be true um, even though we are not able to verify them yet. So, and you, know, you you are hoping to go to the Shingo village to uh see where Jesus was buried well, you know we have had guests talk a little bit about you know uh, during the uh you know J- Jesus's lost years he did uh a lot of traveling uh so there is a legend that Jesus traveled to Japan. Yes. So what happened was that uh, in order to meet people's expectations that uh, someone extraordinary was going to be born from a virgin, from a virgin woman, uh, the Theobans implanted the embryo into the uterus of Virgin Mary. Um, and that Jesus was born, and he was uh, highly intelligent and spiritual, and he went to India and died in Japan. So there's a tomb of Jesus Christ in Japan. 
in Shingo village, Japan. And, but because a person is born from an embryo, um, then he would have to pass what they call the river of oblivion, forgetting everything he um, experienced in his past life and also forgetting all the knowledge that he accumulated to perform miracles. So that Jesus actually couldn't perform any miracles. That's why um, there's no record in the Bible stating that Jesus performed any miracles before the age of 30. Uh, Christ, on the other hand, the one who preached spirituality and love in the Bible, in the New Testament, is actually an E.T. from Theoba, who went into the body of Jesus made by the Theobans that resemble uh, like the look uh, the looks of uh, Jesus at that time and um, they did this just to be able to remember for for the Christ to remember all the abilities to perform miracles um, because they they knew that um, um, the people at that time were uh, really not going to take the words of a regular person seriously. Um, someone like uh, Christ would have to perform miracles in order for the people at the time to believe his preachings, his uh, his teachings. So that's why he uh, um, performed all the miracles and preached uh, spirituality and love. And he died on the cross and resurrected three days after just to show people that there's uh, life after death and there's reincarnation. Um, and uh, the three-day period of time is very interesting because um, in Tibetan culture, it is forbidden to touch um, the corpse of uh, a person for three days um, because they knew that that would disturb uh, the, the, the recent dead. Um, and there's a more scientific explanation is that when a person dies, the astral body leaves the physical body and um, 81% of the electrons that make up the astral body um, remain in nature for three days before they go back to the higher self of a person. And the other nineteen percent, the other nineteen percent, remains in nature until they are either recycled by nature, or or when a person reincarnates. Um, and some people say that they can see ghosts, and what they see um, is actually the nineteen percent of electrons of the astral body of uh, the dead person, um, and. Uh, because of uh, static forces, the 19% electrons resemble the shape of the person when, when he or she was alive. And because electrons also yeah. contain memory, so that's why ghosts frequently haunt the places that they loved or hated. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And that's uh, a nice lead into some other shows I'm working on to, to, you know, to develop, to bring to our listeners, you know, keep that in mind as well. 
And you know, Sammy, we're down to about the last uh, three minutes or so. Um, okay, is, is, you, you have your uh, conference in Illinois, May twenty second and uh, through the twenty fifth. Um, is uh, where can people find your uh, book and anything else you want to uh, publicize? Yeah, people can find information about me by searching on Google my name, Samuel Chong, C-H-O-N-G, and also the name Theoba, uh, T-H-I-A-O-O-U-B-A. Uh, in the conference in May, I'm going to reveal a lot of uh, interesting information that's going to benefit uh, many of the audience, uh, their health, their family, their relationship, their financials, because I have a financial background as well, and um, and also how to respond to challenges in life. In addition to the messages from the ET, the friendly ETs, and um, I think uh, it's going to be really rewarding for the people who attend. Okay, and, and you can uh, find the books on Amazon as well. Yes, Amazon. Yes. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that, you know, we're only down to like ninety seconds left. So, um, yeah, Samuel, I just wanted to thank you for so many insights to other cultures that you uh, brought to tonight's show, as well as how multifaceted Michelle DeMarquet's book is, and you know, thank you for uh, you know, passing you know, for Michelle passing the torch on to you to uh, keep discussing this fascinating book. And thank you again. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. And uh, we have some other great shows coming up. I think uh, Barbara's going to be on a show on. Uh, Tim Walter's show on Friday and working on some uh, good stuff uh, for February and March as well. So you know, keep checking the website and we will see everyone next week. Thank you again, Samuel. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>